0: The strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. I'm one with the Force of Forces with me.
1: We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. Well, I have to start somewhere.
0: Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Kybercast. This is episode number 13, Trek Wars. We're going to get into some fun stuff here. As with me is my good friend, Michael Diaz. Hello. Michael, good to hear from you. Good to be with you again on this podcast.
1: Always, always, always a pleasure. For those that are new, welcome.
0: Hopefully you enjoy this little thing that we do sometimes weekly sometimes bi-weekly where we've been much better lately but uh, we hope you enjoy this for those that have come back thank you so much for coming back and listening this is going to be one of those episodes where not going to lie it's a bit of a a a low time in in kind of the quiet before the storm that's going to happen this fall with a lot of things going on from streaming to films and two of i think michael and i's favorite types of franchises Clearly for me, Star Wars is my favorite thing. That's how this whole podcast kind of started and Star Trek. And there's always been kind of a back and forth between both groups and who's better and this and that, not necessarily who's better, but there's always been Trekkies and Star Wars people. And why it's great to have Michael on this podcast um, is that Michael, I think, is that person that gets both of them and understands both of them, where I'm not. So (laughs) this is going to be a fun one. So Michael, what is your initial kind of thoughts on this?
1: Well, you're right in that um, there tend to be, in the geek culture, There's tend to be Star Wars fans and there tend to be Star Trek fans and there's not a lot of crossover. I mean, yes, it exists, but I am that rare beast that likes them both for different reasons and I love them. Um, I don't know which one. No, actually, I do. I love Star Wars more. There's no question. It's just Star Wars, you know, comes from the old, you know, movie serials and whatnot. So it's, it's more focused on action and kind of like the... Uh, the epic, no, it's based on like old poetic epics, you know, the epic poems where, you know, there's some major adventure and, you know, the hero has some great, uh, mission to accomplish and they usually, you know, they begin in Medius race right in the middle of things. So whereas Star Trek, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's definitely more episodic than it's supposed to be. So I love them both. I mean, if you put a gun to my head, I'm going to take Star Wars, but Star Trek is really not that far behind for me. So I'm one of those rare breeds that loves them both very passionately. So hopefully I can uh, shed some light as to why maybe more people should like Star Trek that don't.
0: Yeah, and I kind of want to make this clear at the beginning of the podcast. This is not to say which one's better or you know worse or tell anybody what to like and not to like. For me, it's just kind of an exploration of two items that became part of popular culture here in the United States and globally – both mean very different things to different people. Both are very fun and, and are very cool. So I don't, I don't want to, this is not about disparaging one or the other, but I will give you my thoughts as to why I gravitated towards one over the other. And to kind of get into that, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning in 1977 where for me, Star Wars came out. It was the first space thing that I've seen uh, growing up and Part of it is I got to see it with my, and this is an earlier podcast, but I've got to see it with my great-grandfather, who was born in the late 1800s, and I can't imagine what he was thinking when this came out, but I got to see it at seven years old and he took me to that, and it was a very emotional response, and when you first see something in the movie theater, it's a big deal, Like when, especially when you're seven years old, that screen's about a million times bigger than it is when you're an adult, everything is just huge and the sound and all these things and brought into the characters probably didn't really understand much at the time, but I loved it. I mean, it it never left my head and I don't know, clearly that plays a big part to why I'm touched by that film. And I think, you know, George Lucas, when he wrote this, he knew that it was about, people coming of age and those kids that were coming of age. And it, nece- it wasn't necessarily written for adults. So well, that's yeah. m- like my first thing about it.
1: Oh yeah. And he kind of touched in that, I uh, touched on that, you know, his b- first really big film was American graffiti. So he had a, he had his you know finger on the pulse of what it was like to be a, a teenager in the fifties. So he, he kind of got that, you know, um, the idea of, you know, what, what kids want. And he was smart about it because Um, he included many iconic uh, images. I mean, Darth Vader looks like a samurai. The stormtroopers have sweet costumes. These are all things a kid would glom onto, and an adult too, but let's face it, the movies we saw when we were kids, you know, still hang with us today, and they they affect us and what we like and what we don't like. And Star Wars had some great imagery, and it had, you know, at the time, it still does, cutting-edge special effects. So, it made a deep impression. I mean, I did not see it in the theater like you did because I'm uh, far, far, far younger than you are. Right. <laughs> but no, uh, I do remember seeing Empire in the theater. I was old enough to see Empire in the theater. Now, my question to you is your great grandfather, who was obviously, he had to be, what, 80 something when it came out? He
0: was, uh, yeah, he was probably, I think he was 86, something like did, that.
1: Did he like it?
0: I think he did. I mean, I, I think so. He enjoyed it. I mean, he went through it. I don't, I mean, we,
1: he, I don't think we had a deep discussion about it, but I think he enjoyed it. Yeah. I was just curious because, you know, that, that would just be an interesting conversation to have had, you know, being someone that was born in the late 1800s to you know, not only see, I mean, see everything really world war one, world war two, the first man, you know, to fly an airplane and the first man to land on the moon and then star Wars, which is probably not as important as the rest of those things, but <laughs> still a cultural touchstone of sorts.
0: Yeah, and so to kind of take this full full circle in a way. So the first time that I saw Star Trek was in Detroit. It was on a station called Channel 50. And for me it was it was like a knockoff. Like so I was I never put it at the same level as Star Wars cuz I saw it after the fact, which at that age I didn't know it was before. You know, I, I didn't know any of that history. So it was wrong to think that at the, at the get-go.
1: Well, you got to remember, too, not only did it come out, you know, 10 years previous, it also came out on a TV budget. So, uh, and they simply didn't have the technology 10 years later that, you know, Lucas created with ILM. So, it, they're, they're apples and oranges, but in that in just that regard alone. But yeah, Star Trek was the original. Now, I'm going to come right out and tell you, I did not, I was not, It never was, and still am not a huge fan of the original series. Um, My first exposure to Star Trek, I remember seeing the motion picture that came out, which obviously mm-hmm. was egged on by the success of Star Wars in the, in the in seventy seven. Sure. So they're like, we need to... Not, not,
0: not only egged on, yeah, no, not only egged on, but like Paramount was like, we need to make money. What do we have? And they go, oh my gosh, we have the Star Trek stuff. What is this? Like people yes, didn't even know they
1: owned it. Right, let's do this. Now that said, the first movie is... I don't want to say hot garbage, but it's not great. No. Second movie, Wrath of Khan. That's a good movie. I, that's a fantastic movie. It was a funner. Idea. It was, it was much more fun. Yes. Now I'm not going to get into all the films, but no. really my major exposure to Star Trek started with Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. To this day, I am still a huge fan of the, the ship that Khan took over the USS Reliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's Miranda class. I mean, I can tell you what class of ship it is and everything. That's how much you love it. But that that movie made an impression on me. And that's where I started Star Trek. But that was early 80s. For me, Star Trek really didn't get its hooks into me until 1987 when Star Trek The Next Generation came out. And that show really pulled me into Trek. Before then, I was pretty much a Trek novice. And to this day, and I might get crap for this, but to this day, I have still not seen nearly... I have not seen all of the episodes of the original series. In fact, I could probably name maybe half a dozen dozen tops that I've seen total of the original series because I just don't care.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the point, like, for me, I never emotionally connected to any of those those uh, characters. and why I think that now is actually it wasn't written for kids. like that was actually an intelligent show. And not that kids are dumb, but I mean, it was written in a different tone of voice. And to be fair, I just saw it at the wrong age. I think if you look back, you know, and I'm going to kind of fight for the Star Trek side of it here, is that it certainly broke ground for things that even Lucas didn't quite do. You know, a black woman that, you know, was Part of the leadership team and it broke down a lot of racial barriers between Russian, yes. Asian, yes. you know, it was really pushed, you know, limits that like, and no, I, and now obviously I wasn't alive when it first came out. I'm not sure if that was controversial.
1: Oh, it but, definitely was. It definitely was the, that first screen kiss between a, a white man and a black woman.
0: Oh yes. Controversial.
1: That So not only that, but so that you're hitting the nail on the head right when you say that Star Trek was more mature, because it was. Um, and because it was a TV show, it was a bit more timely and could reflect more upon its time. I mean, there is a lot of commentary just on uh, well, on, on racial segregation. There's a whole episode where there's this race, where people are at each other's throats. And as far as everyone in the Enterprise can tell, they're the same. and Because one, one half of the race has half a black face, half a white face. Right. And the other... Has the same thing but reverse sides. So right. obviously they're completely different. So they made not only that, but you know, they were, they used that for social commentary. Like I said, the, the kiss between Kirk and Uhuru, um, having a Russian on board the ship, you know, piloting the ship. I mean, these are all things, you know, people were afraid of Russians at that point in time. So it was nice to see a utopian future where all the people of Earth got together against other common enemies. So it was a more intelligent show. I mean, because Star Star Wars started as movies based on the old serials that George Mm -hmm. Lucas loved, they really didn't have the room or the space for a lot of social commentary. It was much more very Buck Rogers, very much swashbuckling. I mean, let's face it, Han Solo is a pirate. The only thing they don't have him doing is swinging around with a knife tearing through a, a sail. But you have Luke swinging around, at least. But what I'm saying is, Solo is a pirate, and he's like the swashbucklers from those old serials, from the Robin Hood serials or from the Buck Rogers or all those serials that George Lucas grew up loving. So they're two different things, and they were meant to be. Yeah, I think there's an element
0: of fun with Star Wars that people will, will escape to. I don't know. Like, I guess that's what I never felt. There are two things I haven't felt with Star Trek, fun and characters I cared about until – Captain Picard.
1: I can't disagree with you. Like I said, uh, for me, uh, it was next generation that really pulled me in. So I love Picard as well, in my opinion, and many other Trekkies or Trekkers, however you want to call them. Picard is the number one captain.
0: Not only that, the number one character, like, you know, I don't, even when the movies came out of, you know, Shatner's term and all that, I didn't care about any of them. I didn't care about Spock. I didn't care. Like, It just didn't – I don't know why. I I, I have no answer for that. Uh, I will say that if I go to the J.J. Abrams versions, I I felt like I cared more about the characters that he created. And I don't know why. I I really don't. I have no answer other than maybe I like the way J.J. tells a story better or maybe they found a way for me to be empathetic with Captain Kirk with you know his father dying right at the beginning you know that I didn't know happened maybe that happened in canon at the original Star Wars I just didn't know it
1: it did not it did not
0: so there's there's just those elements to it that uh, for the fun side of it that they didn't draw me in now I think that you know they made some great moves with The Next Generation. I think that pulled a lot of people. Now, tell me tell me more, because I didn't watch every episode. I didn't, like, it wasn't must-see TV, like, for me. But I watched it when it was on. But what about, did you watch religiously?
1: Well, here's the thing. So, it came out in 1987. Uh, I think I was uh, seventh grade, junior high at the time, middle school. I watched it when I could, but obviously as I got older. Um, It was on for seven seasons, so it was on through me, through high school, and through my college years for a bit. So, I had other interests, which included girls and partying and whatnot, so sitting at home on a Friday or Saturday night to watch Star Trek just wasn't in the cards for for a while. But, that said, uh, in college, um, every night at 10 o'clock, there would be an episode of The Next Generation, and then followed by an episode of Deep Space Nine so while i was in college i tore through every season because i could see at least four episodes a a week of next generation so i could get through a season you know in a month and a half so i watched that's where i really got my deep deep dive into star trek was in college at night when i probably should have been studying but i was staying up late watching star trek and Star Trek Deep Space Nine, or Star Trek The Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine. So that's really where I saw most of the episodes, and I had friends. I had a friend, um, Naveen, who was really into uh, Star Trek, who lived on my, uh, in the same floor I did in my dorm. He'd come over and hang out, and I would have questions sometimes, because I didn't start, it's not like when I started watching it, they showed episode one, season one of Star Trek, you know, Next Generation. I started somewhere in the middle, and then as they went through them, Went back to the beginning, and they started rebroadcasting them. So I would have questions, and he'd answer them for me. But now, at this point in my life, yes, I've seen every episode of Next Generation, every episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, most of most of the episodes of Voyager, and one or two of Enterprise, and none. I took get back the first episode of Discovery. So I, I so so tell me what what
0: keeps you going on the Star Trek stuff. What is what is it about it? Maybe you can help me or other listeners that are more of the Star Wars ilk. What would what, what keeps you interested in this franchise?
1: Well, it's funny because obviously Star Trek is supposed to show a utopian version of the future where all of the Earth and many of the planets around it are getting dwell, are getting together well in almost perfect harmony. But there is conflict. There has to be conflict. Otherwise, there's not going to be a show. I have to admit, and this is definitely against Roddenberry's original designs and wishes. For me, what I like best about Star Trek are when there is extreme conflict, as in wars and whatnot. And unfortunately, that kind of shows through with the viewership. I mean, I for me for me, Next Generation was a hundred percent, hundred percent about the characters. I love Picard, I love Riker, and I love I love everyone. Okay, I love Deanna Troy. I love, you know, Worf. I could go on and on about, you know, Data. And Geordi. I could keep going on. But the point is, they really did well with developing the relationships. I mean, you had Picard and his possible love for Beverly Crusher, and that would come up now and then. And because he chose, you know, Starfleet as opposed to staying at home and working on the family vineyard like everyone else in his family had done, He was kind of a a dark horse in his family. And then in the movies you find out his brother and his nephews all died in a fire at the vineyard. And basically ended the Picard bloodline. Jean-Luc was the last Picard. So there was some conflict there because obviously he was was at no age to start a family. And now he's the last Picard. And that was something that played on him throughout the series. And then obviously once the movies hit, it kind of came to a head because... He always wanted a family and kind of had a family in an episode. Um, One of the best episodes ever where he basically gets uh, pulled into this super complex simulation where this alien race pulls him in and lets them see their life and gives him a life as a husband and father and grandfather, which takes the span of maybe a couple hours, if that. And then he basically lived a whole lifetime. So I'm sorry, I'm getting a little away from your question, but for me... Next Generation was all about the characters and interpersonal relationships there. We're talking Riker, whether or not he's going to end up with Troy, and then in later seasons, Worf and Troy. This this triangle forms between Riker, Worf, and, and so Troy. So it's about the characters for me, at least for so, Next Generation. So it sounded more like soap
0: opera than story.
1: Not necessarily soap opera. Um, that would... Uh, that, that sounds like it cheapens it, and I don't want to say that. I mean, those aspects of it were there, but those were not the focus. That was always in the background.
0: Well, I mean, was, Game of Thrones is a soap opera. So was Walking Dead. It's just not. It's just presented <laughs> in, a, in in a different way. It's just. It's still. It's a serial show that keeps a storyline going through, and characters get together and move on, and it's it. That's that's a soap opera.
1: I mean, kind of, I can I can see where you're coming from. So, in that aspect, I mean, I've. No matter the medium, whether it's it's movies, uh, TV shows, comics, I really get drawn into the interpersonal relationships. So for me, that was why I love Star Trek so much, especially Next Generation. Now, I admit, I really didn't get into Deep Space Nine right away until Worf moved over from Next Generation over to Deep Space Nine, and then they launched into uh, into a war with the Klingons. And that was exciting for me. And then from that point on, I went back and watched everything else to see where we got to that point. But that's really where I jumped in. So, which again, kind of the antithesis of what Roddenberry wanted. Uh, It wasn't supposed to be about war all the time, but here it was. So, um, see, Star Trek, there's so much history in Star Trek. It can be daunting. But once you get, once you stick your foot in there and check things out, you're going to have questions. And it's going to slowly pull you in deeper and deeper like quicksand. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's
0: interesting. Like, they did a great job. Like, they went from, like, 1987 to 2005 straight of some kind of Star Trek on television. Now, I'm going to be blunt here. After Star Wars had a huge gap, right? So you're talking at 83 to, I can't remember when, was it 89? When did the sequels, or 99? So, from 83 to 99, that was the only Star Wars there were. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have that... You know, you could argue that Star Trek has did a great job of keeping it at least relevant to people that like it. For me, there was nothing in between those years except for a trilogy of books by Timothy Zahn called Heir to the Empire. That was the first one, but the Thrawn series, which ironically or coincidentally rather I'm reading the next three but if it was those books are the only thing that kept me attached to Star Wars that was it until they decided to make The Phantom Menace in 1999 there, there was nothing
1: right well and that's the thing that Lucas controlled all of Star Wars controlled all of Lucasfilm he only did what he wanted to do and that was his right because he totally controlled the entire franchise so it was whatever he wanted, whereas Star Trek, yeah, Gene Roddenberry was involved in The Next Generation, less so in Deep Space Nine, and even less so in Voyager, because I think he had passed by then. But the point is, whether or not Roddenberry was involved, I mean, it was good that they kept him involved, but really, he didn't own it. Um, Paramount could have done whatever they wanted with it, if you know, it's their property, not his, whereas Lucas owned Star Wars outright.
0: But do you think that kind of absence helped Star Wars in the long run? Whereas maybe Star Trek, they kind of rehashed maybe the same story. Like I didn't watch all of these at all. Like I have no idea what deep space nine is. I have no idea what Voyager is or enterprise. I know. Was it Scott Bakula? Was that, was he in that one? Correct. Yeah. Uh, Which I liked him from quantum leap. I probably, if anything, I probably would have watched that out of all of them. Um, but I didn't,
1: um, Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, Star Trek had a major effect on, you know, the U.S. or the world. And I think Lucas was smart about it because, remember, in 1997, he kind of stoked the flames a bit. I think he was already thinking of doing another movie. He probably was because in 1997, remember, he re-released Star Wars with updated special effects. For sure. People freaked out. They did. I mean, I remember getting tickets to make sure I saw it at Studio 28, uh, Theater 1, because that was the big awesome theater that you had to see everything in, to see Star Wars on the big screen with the updated special effects, and it was so awesome. So It was
0: huge. It was huge. It was a big, big deal at the time. It was yep. a huge
1: deal, and you know the fans came out in droves, and obviously they showed, we want more. So, hey, he's like, okay, well, here we go. Let's make more. You know, he had an idea and he claims and who knows if this is true, but he claims the reason he didn't make uh, episode one sooner or start with that was because he was waiting for technology to catch up so he could tell the story he wanted to tell. Whether that's true, who knows?
0: I think I I would I would give that a 65 percent true in his head because I think that, you know, he knew what it was like to create Star Wars like how hard it was, right? Every time they shot something, things would break and that kind of stuff. So he's, you know, and everything that I've read about him or listened into some of his interviews, he was a very much, obviously a control person. He very much loves the process and to streamline it. Digital became, because he was, you know, he is a pioneer in this, in the field, more than probably most people know. I I know that, you know, people like you and I do know this of not only just making these movies, but, he changed the way movies are made every time. Yeah. Like like the first three, he changed how movies were made when it came to special effects. And the second three, he changed. it mean, he, in that period of time between those movies, he was involved in the groundwork of Pixar. Yes. Believe it or not. George Lucas was a founder of Pixar before they sold to Steve jobs. Uh, they created, you know, obviously Skywalker ranch and, you Skywalker know, Skywalker sound, THX yeah. sound and, um, all the special effects things he create, he spent his own money creating the digital cameras and stuff. So, you know, it's it's hard to put into perspective. So, I believe that's why I believe that he did wait to tell a story because because you could tell by how grandiose those were. I mean, the world's whether whether you like how it was shot on, on a digital back gun or not, and this is not what this particular podcast is about. Uh, he did do something completely different at that time
1: he did I mean it's just like you said I mean he could have just sold the Star Wars franchise alone and you know retired a huge multimillionaire. but it's like you said not only did he create Star Wars the franchise he created the technology like you said to make films like this even though there wasn't a Star Trek or a Star Wars movie for 16 years right uh, you look at those credits to Star Trek uh ilm did a lot of the effects work for those films so in a way many awesome things about star trek would not exist without star wars because of the of ilm that he created of the sound recording studio we created at skywalker sound which is at the ranch so you're right he he created so much not just on top of the franchise but or not just franchise but on top of the franchise so he could have He could have sold either of those for millions of dollars as well and still retired a very rich man. I mean, he settled for billions, so, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he settled. So, we're at an interesting crossroads here
0: in terms of technology and media. And through the years, I would say that clearly Star Wars dominated the film in theater experience clearly Star Trek dominated the television screen because they had a huge run of almost 20 years of something of Star Trek new on Star Wars did not do that right but here we are today which which I don't know if you saw this this is interesting news to me this is me looking forward that Viacom and CBS have now merged
1: which that's fine and they were merged previously and then broke up and now they're back together
0: No, it's it's huge it's a, it's a big deal a bigger deal where I'm coming from is the streaming wars it is no secret that all these companies are finding their new place in this world where broadcast is gone in terms of big money. But as a backlash, you might see some really cool as there is podcasting. There might soon be video casting down the road. That will be an interesting kind of a new startup based on old technology. That would be kind of fun.
1: But at the end of the day, there's a new streaming thing. That's kind of what we're getting with streaming is that you, you now subscribe to the channels you like. That's, in a way, that is kind of video podcasting. I mean, not exactly verbatim, but...
0: Well, it's going to be a lot more money for everybody because now we're all nickel and diamond. And it's going to be a big three. Again, something will shake out. There'll be a big three company. Disney will be one, Netflix, and maybe this CBS Viacom because they own a lot of properties because Viacom is Paramount and all those things, which has Star Trek. CBS always ha- has Star Trek anyways, but they're going to push their... They'll have more content to build... Because I'm like, I'm not buying CBS streaming. Sorry, nothing nothing there. Uh, will that change with Paramount content? I don't know. We'll see down the road. I still don't see it. But we're. But what I'm getting at in a long-winded way is that the streaming wars of content, how will the content of Star Trek versus Star Wars come up through the streaming wars? So we've got the Mandalorian coming up. Uh, we've got Picard. Like, I am super interested in Picard. That preview blew me away more than any other Star Trek thing that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it was about it I was just showing obviously it's the actor you know you know Patrick Stewart to me he just holds this gravitas of I just love the guy and when you see him in that and and you know I just watched Logan like a week ago and I saw the preview like
1: Oh you're so good yeah, Logan
0: Yes yeah, he's just a great actor period and and bringing him in there that that's what would pull me in is him not Star Trek but but that's storyline. So I think there's, there's some interesting streaming wars that are going to happen in the next three years and how it shakes out.
1: It is going to be interesting. And it's like you said, um, all these major media conglomerates are slowly becoming an oligopoly. And they almost kind of have to because they, they're all trying to compete for that top dollar. Right now, Netflix is a billion-dollar-plus company. Are they going to be in a year? I don't think so because, unfortunately— they don't have the roster. But that's, that's not this point. I could go down farther down this road as we talk about this. And maybe we can bring that up in another episode about the streaming wars. Right now we're going to focus on that Star Wars, Star Trek. So like I said, now that Viacom and CBS have you re know, remerged together, you're exactly right. Because for the longest time, CBS owned Star Trek as far as the TV rights went. While Viacom owned Star Trek as far as the movie rights went. And right. that is why... Um, and they kind of shared uh, the the stuff that had already come out. That's why in the new Star Trek in 2009, the Enterprise was completely redesigned. I and mean, it still looks like the Enterprise. But the reason the ship was bigger... Um, now they claim in the backstory the reason the Enterprise was so much bigger and different looking was because, you know, this new threat in the form of... Uh, you know uh, the time-jumping Romulans and so that the Enterprise was built to be a, a bigger, more powerful ship. But honestly, they had to make changes to it because the copyright to the ship was owned by <laughs> CBS. And it right. had to be like 25% different than the ship from CBS that was kind of in the agreement. So that's why the ship's different, not because of any story reasons, because they had to make things different. Now they don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting, and I, I think what I'm trying to do here is is kind of bring this along. Do you think Star Trek has a history of doing well on television? I don't. Well, Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't. Well, is enough to like survive 18 years. That's a lot. 18 years is a lot.
1: That is a lot. But now let's let's measure that. I mean, let's face it. Star Trek: The Next Generation, fantastic show. Deep Space Nine, I do enjoy. I do love. I don't love it to the level of Next Generation, but. I think most fans will admit the show didn't get really good until Worf came over from Next Generation and then they started the whole Klingon war and then the Dominion War all that. That really pumped the series up. Voyager I liked and but the reason Voyager launched was cuz it was part of the UPN network. You know you know, you know what? Yep. The United Paramount Network. So that was their flagship show. Um and they went the seven seasons and they were going to go the seven seasons. Now obviously UPN and CW merged, and now they're blah, blah, blah. But the point is, um, they launched Enterprise, which for some reason they decided to make a prequel series. And it's the first Star Trek series since the original that did not get to seven seasons. They got to five. so Which is
0: still good, honestly. At the end of the day, five seasons, five years of television. That's, that's good. In this day, that's
1: still respectable yes but let me let me put it into this it's the it's the star wars solo (laughs) you see what i'm saying i love solo don't get me wrong right 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 no i hear you i guess i love it. makes sense but enterprise was not considered the success just like solo wasn't considered a huge success even though i loved i actually liked the whole other episode but i liked solo more than i liked the last the last jedi but that's just me
0: We'll talk that through later.
1: Yeah, that's a whole other thing. My point is, I thought it was a fantastic show. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. Enterprise only lasted four seasons, not even five. Okay. So, my point is, they were seeing diminishing reper- returns after Next Generation. DS9 didn't do as well. Voyager did even worse. And then Enterprise kind of shit the bed Fred <laughs> so and now, and now there's Discovery, which is back. Right, but things have changed. Honestly, had Enterprise come out now, during the streaming wars, um, I think it would have gone the full seven seasons. I think it would have had more of a life, but because it was broadcast first on on UPN and also, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was also um, not franchised, uh, not syndicated, thank you. Right. Thank you, myself. <laughs> Yourself. It was uh, It was on UPN, but it was also syndicated. But that's the thing. We've now entered this time where, unfortunately, we're not fortunately, technology has reached a level where special effects can be done much cheaper. They're still expensive, but they're cheaper than they used to be. Um, and now you can now focus on niche audiences, and that's what Discovery doing. Because if it was a huge show... It would not be on CBS, I'm sorry, it would not be on CBS online. It just would not be, you know. So but let me ask you the question, what's the
0: production quality like on that show?
1: You know, I've only seen the first episode, and uh, so I really can't speak to that, However, speak to all of that. However, I do know, so Netflix, even though it's a CBS online show, or CBS All Access to use the proper name, uh, even though it's a CBS All Access show, Netflix has the international broadcast rights ah so that first season was a shit ton of Netflix money in there too gotcha Netflix is showing it around the world unfortunately not the US in the US you gotta pony up and pay to watch it through CBS all access so that first season had a bunch of Netflix money and it did well enough that they got to continue with a season 2 and now they're doing a season 3 we know of but- well,
0: so you get the parallels of two. We're going to have two streaming shows for Star Wars. We're going to have the Cassian Andor, which is coming up next year, and Mandalorian. Coincidentally, the Mandal uh, the Cassian Andor is a prequel to Star Wars, obviously because it's before Rogue One. Spoilers: everybody in Rogue One dies.
1: What? <laughs> um,
0: and then you then you have the Mandalorian, which is post Star Wars. Where I believe, obviously, in the Star Trek one, the Discovery is also a prequel, right? And then you have the Picard series, which is obviously post that as well. So we've got... Both of them are playing in two different time areas. And I just find the coincidences either striking or just lucky or whatever.
1: Like I said, I still need to take the time to watch Discovery. I'm a horrible, horrible Trekkie for not watching it. But I have to admit... Uh, after not watching enterprise because I was uninterested because it was a prequel series. Um, I was also uninterested, uninterested initially with discovery because it too is a prequel series. Whereas this one takes place 10 years before the original series. Um, But I am super hyped about Picard because that is the first show since the last, since star Trek insurrection, that film. Well, this is going to lead.
0: So this, this thought crossed my mind. It's going to lead me to the next discussion about characters. The Discovery, I believe that the only reason they actually did that time frame is so they can use Spock. I really firmly believe that. So people can like, oh, Spock, I get it at Star Trek. You know, and, and they'll pull me in. And and I think that, you know, to me, what are the best so what are the characters that are endearing for both that you that you can compare? So if we take Spock, for instance, is that the Yoda of of uh The Star Wars size is Yoda like Spock? Like, I'm trying to find the comparison uh, or likenesses of characters because obviously the Joseph Campbell side of Star Wars, they're a little more iconic. They're not quite as iconic, I believe, in Star Trek, which is probably why I never gleamed onto them. They're more fully rounded, probably, characters in Star Trek than they are in Star Wars where you're basically, this is that person's character and only a few will change or break character. So... If, if, if
1: Spock is this, is is Yoda the Spock? is, is there a- It depends on the show. Uh, initially, in the movies, in the original series and the, the first set of movies, yeah, that's definitely kind of Spock's position. He is the wise person. But once Next Generation comes out, I mean, that shifts much more to Data, as he is much more logical, because he is a synthetic human, whereas Spock is half folk and half human. So Data, if you look, you get to see a lot of You know things to his eyes, and he is much more straightforward and logical. And I would say he is maybe not much. Well, yes, kind of a Yoda esque character. And then, if you want to extend that, um, whereas you know the swashbuckling character for Star Wars that we see in the original trilogy is definitely Han Solo. I think they wanted Poe Dameron to be that for this next, this last, this current trilogy. I'm not seeing that so much. Um, He's a hothead. But I'm not seeing him be the swatchbuckling kind of character that they kind of originally kind of played him out to be. And if you want to see that character in Star Trek, um, as far as the Next Generation goes, that's definitely Commander William Riker. Um, he's that. Small- oh really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Well, see, I only compared Spock and Yoda because of the ears. That's really where I started. But <laughs> That was <laughs> kidding. Um, but I don't find that like, you know, you brought up Han Solo, like. If I go, I'm, I'm going to start with the original cast because that's, I think most people probably know those characters better than the rest. Maybe, I'm guessing, at least the general pop. And I'm going to go back through the, let's say, even from the series to the reboot that J.J. Abrams did. So, you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the wise old wizard that teaches you something. I, I didn't see that much in, in the original characters of who that might be that carries over. Maybe more so in the Abrams one where it was um, Pike. Maybe it could have been that character in in, in uh, the J.J. Abrams version.
1: See, I would, I would argue that if you want to talk just Star Wars kind of archetypes, I would say that Jean-Luc Picard is the Obi-Wan of Star Trek. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that for and sure. And even with this new series coming out, you know, someone needing help from an old man who used to, you know, be in the thick of it, it's very Obi-Wan-esque.
0: Yeah, I, I see that very clear, yeah. Is there a Luke? Is there the kid? Is that, was it Wesley?
1: No. Is there a Luke? I'm going to say no because they're different beings or different things in that Star Trek and Star War, Star Wars... Is like I said, it's an epic, and it's supposed to be. So you're going to have a major hero on some kind of major quest. Star. Yeah, the yeah because
0: the theme of Star Wars in all three trilogies of is characters coming of age, becoming who they are, and you have supporting characters that either help them become who they are to the best of their ability or not. And I think that's the difference. You know that Star Trek is like these people are already fully fleshed out so to speak in the series and I don't you know maybe that's what I'm missing.
1: Well yeah, and Luke Luke was you know the the young farm boy you know yearning for the stars and he gets to finally do that and finds out it's it's the surprise royalty story. You know, he's the he's the hidden prince if you will. Yes, he's not technically royalty but he's the hero that was hidden away. You know, he had a greater purpose. He just didn't know it. He thought he was a no one. And suddenly, boom, he's this epic hero that saves the day. That's his story. You know, and that's, that comes from classic literature, that comes from epic poetry, this, you know, he's, maybe he's not Odysseus, but he's kind of like uh, Achilles in a way, you know? So, which harkens back to, you know, great, you know, Greek epic poetry. Star Trek is just not built that way. It's not supposed to. They're adults. Yeah, they throw in kids once in a while. You know, the Ed Wesley Crusher, but he wasn't the focus. The focus is, this is... These were adults, and we're telling a story within this universe. And there's going to be conflict, because there's always going to be conflict. But it's not about some huge... It's not about one single character, necessarily, on a huge hero mission. I get that there are more characters in Star Wars, and they're fantastic. But... um you know, the whole Star Wars saga is, he is for, for the original, it's Luke's hero story. For the prequels, it's the Darth Vader origin story. How a person with such potential fails. And then, mm-hmm. uh, as we're seeing in this latest set of, of uh, sequels, it's obviously Rey and possibly Ren on their hero journey. Star Trek is not supposed to be that way, and it's not that way. It's not about that. It's about... It's about characters from different societies, different beliefs, uh, and different races. It's about how do we all work together. So they're going to be completely different things, and that's why they're so different.
0: And I think that's going to be what, you know, these new series for both of them. I think Star Wars has a little more of an uphill battle on trying to figure out how a series works, and it'll be interesting to see that. So it is tough. It's tough to compare characters like you said because it is definitely not one-on-one one-for-one but there's it's that reason like han solo means so much to so many people does does james t kirk mean that to so many people like i'm trying to find that parallel of like you know and maybe because you know what it is maybe maybe there was no iconic evil and that everybody was probably a little gray in in star trek I mean, at one time, I you know, Wrath of Khan was clear because
1: there was a pure evil guy. Like, I get it. Like, oh, that's the bad guy. <laughs> and well, let me throw that, this at you though. Yeah. Even then, he's still not purely evil. Do you know the right. whole? I won't get too into it, but do you know the whole story of Khan? Uh, I don't. I do from the,
0: um, the JJ one, but I think that was been retconned, right? Well,
1: it's it's very similar, but basically, he was he was a. Uh, product of eugenics, where he was basically built to be a soldier during a dark time in Earth's history, where there are many world. There's another world war going on, and the Earth basically went through another dark age, if you will. And then after the wars got over, they really didn't have any need for the soldiers anymore, and they rebelled. I mean, it depends on what canon you're talking to, but the basic gist is they rebelled and basically tried to take over the world because they saw they weren't needed anymore. And eventually, the rest of humanity won out. And they put them into stasis because they didn't know what to do with them, and then they were found, you know, hundreds of years later, by the Enterprise and thawed. And he just went back to doing what he knew how to do. He's a soldier. He is built just to fight and conquer. It's now was that was that in the original Star Trek Wrath of Khan? Yeah. So okay, the original um, Karl Mattaban actually shows up in the original series. That's where they find Khan and then bring him back for the movie you know, 10, 15 years later.
0: Ah, so uh, okay. So that was part of an, of that. Yeah,
1: that's an extension. So all that to say, yes, there is a bad guy. And there has to be a bad guy. But once again, there's a little bit of gray there. You know, Khan's only doing what he knows how to do. He has, he can't do anything else. It's kind of like, nothing. I want to go into too many genres, but it's kind of like General Zod in Man of Steel.
0: Well, it's- yeah, all, all good villains think they're right. I mean, from, you know, Thanos on, but...
1: Exactly. So I'm just trying to say, I mean, it's very easy to say that the Empire is evil. And, you know, let's face it. They all, they they look the part and they act the part. And yes, there's some human aspects to it that make it more real. But in Star Trek, the bad guy could be your ally the next episode.
0: Gotcha. So there's another quick thing that we can touch upon. There was a Star Trek animated series. And clearly over the last few years, there's been some... Really good Star Wars stuff. The Clone Wars is a great... I don't know if you've seen them, but they're really, really good. It, t- it takes a good probably four episodes in to get going. And the Rebels, to me, was phenomenal. And Resistance is... Eh, it's okay. There's some good stuff in it. Uh, they renewed that for another season, obviously. But uh, Star Trek kind of stopped the animation. I think they did it like in the 70s or something. Yep, and they
1: did it in the 70s, and that was kind of it. Now, it's coming yeah. back. Um, so... To that point, Star Trek obviously has, like you said, a run from 87 to 2005 on TV consistently. Now, there has been a break, obviously, since 2005. There's a 12-year break. Almost as long as the break in Star Wars films. That was 16 years, so not quite as long, but almost. But Star Trek obviously has a pretty good handle on television shows. I will say that Star Wars definitely has a handle on animated TV shows. Um, It's like you said, there was first the micro-series of The Clone Wars, which was fantastic, which morphed into the cgi Clone Wars, and then as you said, Rebels and Resistance. Uh, But Star Wars has never really had a TV show. Yeah, there was the holiday special Christmas special in the late 70s that everyone knows is just god-awful. Yeah. But since then, I mean, there were talks for a while that Lucas was going to create a TV show, and had actually, you know, set up camp in Australia and was, you know, thinking about filming the show there. But I think he just said, you know what, I'm an old man and I just want to retire. (laughs) And that's what happens when, you know, one person controls the whole franchise. Now that Disney has it, they want to expand. So I have faith in Disney because the Mandalorian looks great. And they got Jonathan Favreau to not only kind of spearhead the whole series, but he uh, wrote and directed the first episode. Favreau, which those of you may or may not know, uh, directed Iron Man's 1 and 2. 1 was fantastic, 2 was, you know, it was it looked good. Um, but, you know, Favreau, he's, he's strong. They've got a lot of strong actors and directors in The Mandalorian, so it's obviously they're putting money into it to make sure it's hopefully going to do well. I mean, Taika... Taika Waititi is going to direct an episode of Mandalorian, or has already. Um, So that should be interesting. But the simple fact of the matter is, Disney is not known at this point. Or not Disney. Lucasfilm is not known at this point for producing quality TV. I'm thinking they will create quality TV, but they don't have a track record for it. Whereas Star Trek Discovery is obviously doing well enough that they're getting a third season and they're getting the buzz going, and people are really hyped for Picard. And we're going to see more. There's going to be another animated series uh, coming out as well for Star Trek. So um, I, I have faith that Star Wars will do well on the small screen, but we just haven't seen it. So it's still an unknown commodity at this point. So what are
0: you looking for in the Star Wars series? Now, I will say this to kind of piggyback um, on... Uh, what you were saying about the Mandalorian and all that, they do have somebody by the name of Dave Filoni, who's a great showrunner and is probably the only person that understands Lucas and his mythos better than anybody at Lucasfilm. So that's why I feel good about the Mandalorian. But what are you looking for? Is there that kind of person or a showrunner that's going to, that is going to push Star Trek to where you want it to go?
1: You know, it's hard to say because, um, they did have that showrunner, when Brian Fuller, and he got booted, and so having not seen all the, uh, not having seen all of seasons one and two of Discovery, I can't really speak to the current showrunner. Um, I'm a, I like Brian Fuller, but he's a uh, I don't know how well he would do with with Star Trek, but he did a series uh, years back that I really loved called Pushing Daisies for two seasons, that unfortunately didn't get the audience that. It, probably should have so it, it died on the vine um, so as far as having a showrunner I I would say well, I truly I really can't say for Discovery because I'd have to watch it um, but there are some people that I would consider uh, like Jane Espenson, who was a writer on uh, some of the Buffy series and also um, writer and I don't remember if she was a showrunner or not but I uh, Had a lot to do at Battlestar Galactica when it was out over on Sci-Fi. Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time, still. So um, it, it's hard to say who I would pick to be a showrunner for current Star Trek, but bringing Picard back was a hail mary that is fantastic in my mind. So I'm excited. So I, I don't really
0: quite know how to put a bow on this, other than you know. I'm glad that there's a lot of content coming out for both sides. I only have so much time in my day and, you know, I will probably more likely than not when it is not, no, it's true. I'm going to be on the star Wars side of content. I would rather probably read a star Wars book than watch a star Trek, anything.
1: (laughs) Well, let me ask Um, you this. So star Trek wise, we already know, Discovery's continuing. We already know Picard's coming out. Uh, We know they are going to get at least an animated series, and then maybe more beyond that. What, we don't know. But we're looking at three, possibly four shows now in Star Trek. From Star Wars, we know we're going to... We still have Resistance, which is a cartoon, which is fair. One of the new Star Trek uh, shows is going to be cartoon as well. But, as far as live action, we know The Mandalorian show and the Cassian Andor show. What what do you want to see coming from a Star Wars TV show?
0: Oh, two things. I want to see an Obi Wan series.
1: Whoa! Okay.
0: I want to see what his kind of time between episode three and four. That that's interesting to me because you have you and McGregor, who's would do it, and why the hell not? Why would you not do that? He's he's one of the best characters in the saga. Put him in, and I would love to see a series based on Thrawn because I think that Thrawn is one of the best characters written or in the star Wars universe that 90% of star Wars people probably don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And they should know because it's a fantastic character. Um, And then I would love to see a Knights of the old Republic, like a long time ago where there was like legions of Jedis and legions of Sith that kind of, would be interesting to me because you know I think you know it's been whittled down to two for the last you know twenty years of my life or whatever. So I, I like seeing a lot of Jedi. That's what I did like about the prequels is like, oh look at that Jedi and this this kind of different creature and that guy, and all these different Jedi to me was really cool. So I like to see some of that.
1: Okay, that's respectable. I, I can't disagree with you on any of that. Honestly, no, I do. Did I hear that there's going to be a Tarantino Star Trek movie? Um, I'm going to answer it like this. I don't believe anything Tarantino says until production actually starts. <laughs> I did hear I did hear a rumor that was flowing that he was going to do it. He So here's the gist. He basically came out and said he wants to do a Star Trek movie. And Paramount, Viacom, all that, they're not stupid. If Tarantino wants to do a Star Trek movie, you let Tarantino do a Star Trek movie. That's just smarts. I mean, if one of the... Greatest directors of his generation decides he wants to tackle your your franchise. You say yes. Would be no different if you know he said I want to do a James Bond movie. Who wouldn't let him do that, right?
0: Well, they didn't because he wanted to do Casino Royale and they didn't let him.
1: Well, <laughs> you can blame the Broccoli family for that then.
0: Um, I, I I can blame them, but I liked what they did with.
1: Oh, Casino Royale is fantastic, but wasn't it's that one odd. of the best? Yeah, one of the best Bond movies ever. Anyways. Well, I wanted to that say being... real quick. I'm going to go out there a little bit and say that I, as far as Star Wars, I would love it. Absolutely love it. If they did a series, a Tag and Bink series. Oh, God, no. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know Tag and Bink? Yeah. I Maybe a,
0: like a YouTube 10-minute shorts or something.
1: <laughs> I, if it's shorts, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But I love Tag and Bink. And especially... You know anything? If as long as they bring in Kevin Rubio, I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. No. Uh, do you ever see troops? Nope. So Star Wars, I won't go too deep down this hole, but Star Wars is much more open about people using their license and you know their. Oh, customers. was troops
0: like I know what you're talking about? Was like cops? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, I still do was great. It. it
1: was. I love it. I love it. So anyway, yeah. he created with along with uh, artist Lucas uh, Maringan. Uh, he they created Tag and Bink, and I would love to see more of that.
0: Just because I think they're hilarious. So you forgot one that I thought that I left open because I thought for sure you would say it as a series on Disney Plus. A Doctor Afra.
1: Oh yeah. yeah! Oh my god! I can't believe I missed that! Oh my god! I left it open for you. I, I thought did, you would bring it up. That was. I was so focused on Tag and Bink, I didn't even think Doctor Afra. Oh my god! So. I don't want to go on and on, but. For anyone out there listening, if you don't know who Dr. Afra is, go out and buy the first uh, hardcover volume of the Darth Vader comic that came out with uh, art by, I think it was Salvador LaRocca. Was that who did it back then? Anyway, sure. I don't know. <laughs> get that book because you're going to meet Triple uh, Zero. You're going to meet uh, BT and you're going to meet mm-hmm. Dr. Afra, where three of the awesomest characters to be added to the Star Wars canon. She is, in my mind, the best way to put her, I think, is a morally flexible Indiana Jones as a woman in the Star Wars universe.
0: Yep, for sure. Great character.
1: Love her. Absolutely love her.
0: Yes. So, yeah, there you go. 100%. Which brings up uh, – we're we're running long. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're running long on this particular podcast, which I didn't think we would, which is funny. I think that obviously Star Wars what they're doing right now between books and comic books is is really pushing past Star Trek in that fi- front.
1: Well, that's 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 a bold claim cuz Star Wars Star Trek is kicking out dozens of books a year still.
0: Oh, well, there you go. See, I don't know. Thank you. That's why you're here. So what what about, about
1: comics? Uh not not to the level that Marvel's kicking out Star Wars comics, that's for sure. There are still Uh, I think the current license is held by IDW, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And they're kicking out Star Trek comics. In fact, they're going to be kicking out a prequel series that leads up to Star Trek Picard. And they're still doing comics based off the rebooted series and whatnot. uh, I recently bought a trade that was uh, a Next Generation take on the Mirror Universe that I enjoyed. So they're still kicking out comics. It's just they don't have the marquee name that Star Wars has on Whereas, also because Disney owns Marvel and owns Lucasfilm, I can easily say this is all canon. Whereas the IDW stuff, as much as they'd want it to be canon, I don't think it necessarily is canon. It's just fun. So the Star Wars comics and books have a much, uh, they're much heftier, much weightier, and can actually possibly be real as far as canon goes. That's interesting. So I'm going to wrap
0: this all up in that, Look, they're both great. It was fun talking about them. I think that you know everybody should be able to like what they want to like, and that this is not a this or that, or you know, it's just my personal preference of what I particularly enjoy. I thought it was a fun discussion, Michael. You bring so much to the table when it comes to Star Trek. I I would love to have my friend Rudy, who happens to be in Montana right now. I think he's really tight on Star Trek. He probably would have been fun to add on here, but
1: well, we can we can bring him back when Picard comes out and see what he thinks.
0: Yeah, that would be good. Um, Just want to say a few things here before we uh, say goodbye at the end of this podcast. Uh, We may miss next week. We may not, depending on uh, some of us are taking a vacation, that some of us is me, and I won't be back until (laughs) Wednesday night. So maybe we'll record on Thursday if possible. I'll I'll get with Michael here because everybody's schedule is kind of messed up. So we may miss a week. If not, uh, we'll we'll try and get it out at a different time. Um, I do want to say again, I'm going to plug this until it's over. We're going to be at the Grand Rapids Comic-Con November 8th through 10th. And we would love for you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, or anywhere you get podcasts. Subscribe, share, let us know. Michael, you can tell us about our social network stuff.
1: Well, as Joe just told you, you can subscribe to our podcast through those various uh, outlets. You can always find us right at cobbercast.com. We're there 24-7. Anytime you want to see us. Also, if you want to find us on Twitter, we're uh, Twitter at KyberCast. We're also on Instagram at KyberCast. Or if you want to email us, KyberCast at gmail.com. We've got lots of options if you want to get a hold of us. So if you have a comment, you have a concern, whatever, leave a comment on Instagram. Leave a, Send us a tweet. Reply to a tweet. Retweet us. Send us an email. However you want to get a hold of us, go for it. We're, we're open to it
0: perfect just tell your friends about us see if we can get some people listening so really appreciate you guys listening to us michael i appreciate your time again this was a a good one I'm, i'm glad we got this out we may revisit this again in the future as the streaming shows and things happen again but man thank you so much for doing this with me every week
1: and always a pleasure i like to geek out it's what i do what a piece of junk